0: Hey guys, welcome to Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. So what I seek to do is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that you can face the chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. Christians in the West are living in what has frequently been called a post-Christian society. As the influence of Christianity continues to wane, Christian communities find that they are increasingly marginalized for holding to their biblical beliefs. We feel disoriented in an alien culture and are sometimes even addressed with opposition from the world. These trends have no sign of slowing down. Therefore, it is as important as ever that Christians learn how to endure through the difficulties and sufferings of life with courage. On this episode, I'm going to share with you a talk that I recently gave at the DEFEND Conference at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. The title of that session was Into the Storm, Valiant Faith in Tumultuous Times. In part one, you will learn about the necessity of courage in Christians today and about the meaning of courage. If you'd like to download my notes from that talk that includes all quotes, references, and so on, I'm offering them to my podcast listeners for free. Just visit the link to the show notes in the description below, and you can get that download. Before we dive into this episode, let me encourage you to subscribe to our email list so that you can get the latest content sent directly into your inbox every time it drops. Just visit that same link to the show notes, and you can sign up on my website. Also, be sure that you're subscribed to Filter wherever you get your podcasts so that you can get all future episodes right on your homepage. If you're helped by this content, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a five-star rating on Spotify and also wrote a review on Apple Podcasts. Whenever you take these simple steps, it really helps us out and it will only take a minute of your time. Well, without any further delay, let's jump into this episode from my talk at the Defend Conference. On June 18th in 1940, Winston Churchill gave a speech to the House of Commons to try to rally the British nation to step up to the threat and the menace that was facing them, which was uh, the Nazis, as they were expanding across Europe. The allied British and French forces had been pushed all the way up to the sea and were lining up on the beaches of Dunkirk. They were about to launch uh, Operation Dynamo, which was this daring rescue to try to get home as many of their boys as they possibly could. And before Operation Dynamo, uh, the newly installed Prime Minister Churchill gave a speech called Their Finest Hour, and he closed that speech by saying this. He said, Hitler knows he will have to break us on this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be free, and the life of the world may move forward into broad, sunlit uplands. But if we fail, the whole world, including the United States, including all we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age, made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. Let us, therefore, embrace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour." Whenever I first read this quote, it made me reflect on how we as well are standing, what I believe we as well are standing at the abyss of a new dark age. I believe that we as well are, in a sense, pushed up on the beaches uh, with forces that are against us as we are living in a culture, as we are living in a Western society, which has increasingly over the past several decades moved away from its Christian foundation or consensus, however you like to say that, and has become more and more uh, post-Christian, or we might even say has become more and more opposed to the Christian worldview, and especially to anyone who holds to a, a biblical, orthodox, traditional view of Christianity. We as well are facing up against this opposition, and it is something that is going to require courage on our part. This secularization continues to be on the rise. Just recently, over the past decade, we've seen how uh, those who self-identify as Christians went down from over the past decade from 75% in America to 63%. And now those who self-identify as non-affiliated with any religion or those who would we would would call have been secularized went up over the last decade from 16% to 29%. There's no signs that these trends will will slow down or that they will stop or that they will reverse at this point. And so as we continue on into this new culture, the new challenges and the oppositions that we are experiencing now and as I believe we will continue to experience, I believe that we as well need to uh, have a moment where we reflect and stand to determine that whatever the future of Christianity looks like, in the West, and in America, and in your city, your family, your church, that generations would look back and say, as well, like Churchill said, this was their finest hour, as we resolve to courageously speak the truth in our culture. That's what we're talking about today is courage. First, we're going to talk about the storm, the necessity for courage. Then we're going to talk about the virtue, which is the meaning of courage. After that, we're going to look at the lion, the sources of courage. And then lastly, the invitation, the habits of courage. When you live right by the sea, hurricanes are just a part of life that you have to accept. I don't know where each one of you guys are from, uh, but like I said, I am from uh, South Louisiana. I'm just a couple hours down I-10, and so just like New Orleans, I also live on the Gulf Coast. If you live on the Gulf Coast too, or if you live on any coast, you know that storms are something that are hurled upon you, and that it's just a part of life that you have to accept, Sometimes they come with a decent amount of warning. Sometimes they come with no warning at all. You know, just a few months ago, there was a major, one of the most powerful hurricanes ever recorded right here in New Orleans. And initially, you might not remember this, it was headed uh, more to the west. Where I live, Lafayette, was right in the bullseye. My family and I decided that we were going to evacuate at the last minute on Sunday morning. It was supposed to hit Sunday afternoon. We said, let's get up early and go on Sunday morning. There won't be any traffic. We'll get ahead of the storm. We'll be fine. We evacuated up to northeast Texas and when we got there, turned on the news and saw that in just a few short hours, the storm had made a radical turn to the east and slammed Homa, the small communities uh, south of New Orleans and the city of New Orleans. These hurricanes come at us, like I said, with little to no um, uh, warning at times, and we have no control over them. Whenever one of these storms comes upon us, uh, no matter where you live, it, it, might be, it might be blizzards in the north, it might be tornadoes in the Midwest, but whenever they come, it does not matter uh, at, at that point in your life how good of a person you had been, how moral you had been. It does not matter to a certain extent how many wise choices you had made in your life and how prudent you had been in different means. Whenever the storm comes, it is coming for everyone, the wise and the foolish, the good and the bad, everyone. It comes for us all. I think that these storms, whether they be hurricanes, tornadoes, or whatever else, are a good metaphor for how, in a sense, life for all of us is lived on the edge of the sea. All of our lives, and and all of our lives to a certain degree or another, no matter how good or bad, wise or foolish, prudent or imprudent we have been, uh, we all live life on the edge of the sea in a metaphorical sense, in how suffering, opposition, persecution, uh, and, and pain of any other kind can be hurled upon us at any time, uh, with little to no, uh, 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 reason for us having received it or, you know, nothing that we had done on our own in order to have that pain come into our lives. Storms are a really good metaphor for this in our life. And it's actually a metaphor. It's a motif that we see very often in scripture I'm sure already several different examples have come to your mind of how storms in Scripture are a metaphor, a motif for the suffering and pain of life that we experience, uh, for persecution even. Let me give you just a few examples. I think one of the most powerful ones is this. Consider why in Revelation 21, verse 1, John wrote that whenever he saw the new heavens and the new earth, he was talking about everything that he was seeing— what was there, and he also describes the things that were no more. And it's interesting that he says this, the sea was no more. The sea was no more. I think very often maybe some of us had just skipped over that that phrase and we read about how tears are no more and sin is no more and death is no more, but along with those things which are no more, which are all things in the realm of evil, he also says, and the sea was no more. Why is this? Because in the ancient mindset and in uh, the mindset of nearly all the biblical writers, the sea itself was a, was a metaphor and a symbol of the realm of chaos, of the realm of disaster, the realm of evil, uh, the realm of Satan. There's a scholar named J. Ramsey Michaels, and in his commentary on Revelation, he said, from his perspective, speaking of the Apostle John, the sea, the abyss, and Hades all amount to much of the same thing. What is more natural for a man imprisoned on a lonely island than to view the water separating him from his companions on the mainlands as waters of death? His perception that there was no longer any sea is simply another way of saying that in new creation, there is no more death. Consider also in the story of Jonah. Whenever he was running away from God's calling, and he's on a ship, and it says that God hurls a storm upon the sea, the sailors decide that in order to save themselves, they're going to have to throw someone off. Jonah says, hey, it should probably be me. They toss him off board, and what does Jonah go through? He experiences a metaphorical death in being tossed into the sea, swallowed up into the belly of the whale, right? Because Jesus himself refers back to Jonah's story as a pointing forward to the death and resurrection, which he himself would experience, not metaphorically, but literally. So Jonah's being hurled into the sea also, and the storm of the sea was a metaphorical death. Think uh, one more example. In Acts 27 and 28, we have the seafaring journeys of Paul as he was uh, on his way to see Caesar and to make an appeal to Caesar uh, for the the case that he was going through. And whenever they go out onto the sea, it's the first time that we have an example of uh, or a story about them traveling on the waters, They go through storms and maelstroms and chaos. Once again, not just in our own poetry, but also in Scripture, the storms are a metaphor for the hardships and the pain of life. There's two different categories of storms or types of storms that you might go through in your life, two different types of suffering. The first one is what we might call tragedy. These are the sufferings that are not caused by any direct nefarious intent of any person these are things which are just the consequence of living in a broken world these are things like animal suffering whenever we see uh you know a a lion devour a gazelle or or hyenas devour a zebra whatever else it is in the extreme pain that that animal goes through this is not evil right because there's no malicious intent on the part of those animals they do not uh do not bear moral culpability for that it is just the way that nature is yet it is still suffering. It is a tragedy. Things like sicknesses, diseases that we, that we get that were not due to any choice of your own or not due to anyone sinning against you. It's just a consequence of living in our broken world. Uh, also, accidents would be included in this. The tragedies that, that take away life that, once again, was not the ne- necessarily the fault or intention of any one purpose. It was person. It was just an accident. These are the tragedies we experience in life. This is one kind of suffering, tragedies. The second kind of suffering that we might experience in life, as opposed to tragedies, are malevolence. This is the pain that is caused by the direct intent of a person. This is what uh, Francis Schaeffer used to describe as man's inhumanity to man. Examples of malevolence are obvious, and they are many. They are things like murder, obviously. They are things like abuse. Whether that be uh, one individual abusing another, whether that be a leader abusing a community, or so on. They are things like theft. There are things like uh, religious persecution against Christians or any other uh, religious group. They are things like even manipulation. Whenever you experience uh, emotional or psychological manipulation, this is an example of malevolence. Or things like slander, or, or being lied to or lied about, and so on these are this is harms which are caused to you or to an individual or group by the direct nefarious intent of another person or group or power so these are the two types of uh, of sufferings and pains that we experience in our world those tragedies just the consequence of living in a broken world and then malevolence you can experience either tragedy or malevolence either as calamities something that uh, comes upon you quickly fully out of nowhere but then it passes, though the healing might take a while, right? There's the ongoing effects of that. But the suffering comes and then it goes, much like a hurricane, right? Uh, but then there are also chronic conditions, the ongoing uh, tragedies that you experience, whether that be like, like a tragedy of a sickness, a disease that is not something that is there and gone, but something that stays with you, the cases of ongoing years, decades of abuses, manipulations, and so on. So tragedy and malevolence can be experienced either as calamities or chronic conditions, and each of these things can be and are very frequently experienced in overlap in one degree to another. Very often it's hard for us to actually point to any uh, outside of having cancer or, or a disease, something like that, or, or you just uh, crashing your car. Outside of things like that, uh, these accidents or diseases, most of the time, very frequently, It's an overlap of these two things. It's an overlap of tragedy and malevolence. Uh, Really, the most horrible and some of the most difficult of sufferings are whenever a, a malevolent person takes advantage of the tragedies of life in order to inflict suffering. This is how the worst of torturers, the worst of dictators, the worst of abusers operate. They identify the weaknesses and vulnerabilities that exist in a person or just in us as people, and then they exploit those weaknesses, vulnerabilities, uh, insecurities in order to inflict pain. And so in that sense, there's overlapping. These are the different types of storms, of sufferings and pain that we experience in life. And once again, what I want to drive home and just try to show how this uh, really works and, 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 and operates in our life is this, that you don't have to live on the coast to live on the edge of disaster. Tragedies, malevolence, whether they come quickly or whether they are slow burning and they uh, endure, are, are, are possible to happen to us all. Once again, regardless of our intelligence, regardless of our morality. And so on it makes you question is life a land journey or a sea journey i think that really often uh, we consider that life or we, we think of life as if it was a land journey if you're on land and there's a storm coming then you can run to shelter you can go inside of a house you can go to a basement we don't have those in south louisiana uh, they would they would flood quickly <laughs> you'll go into a basement uh at the very least if there's rain and wind you can go under a tree or, or, or something else uh, uh, of the sort right that's what it's like when there's a, you're on a land journey but if you're on a sea journey and chaos comes upon you there's nowhere to go there's nowhere to escape life is not a land journey friends it is a sea journey There's nothing that you can do to stop or to escape the vast majority of the storms of life. Yes, there are some that we directly bring upon ourselves, but that's not the ones I'm talking about here. The storms are a reminder of this, that we are not in control. We are not in control, but here's the good news, that Jesus is. Jesus is always in control of whatever storms we go through in our life. Remember the story of him calming the storm in uh, Mark chapter 4 and in other places in the Gospels. Whenever they were uh, making their way across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is asleep in the boat and they're afraid that the wind and the waves are going to overtake them. I want to remind you of something. We're going to talk about this more in a second, but I just want to point it out here. It was Jesus's idea to cross the sea. They were on one side and he says, hey, let's go to the other side. Now, does Jesus know what's going to happen? Yes, it was his idea to cross. It was his idea to take his disciples into that storm. He was in control from the start. He didn't take control once they woke him up and he calmed it. He was in control from the very start. We are not in control, but Jesus always is. And that is good news for us. So here's the challenge that faces us: Since we are not in control, whenever a storm comes upon you or your family or tragedy strikes your community... What are you going to do? We need Christians who have a valiant faith. We need Christians who have a resilient faith. We need Christians today because of the storms of life, whether they be the tragedies we experience or the opposition, persecution we face. We need Christians who have sharp minds, but also warm hearts that melt with compassion and broad shoulders, which can shoulder the burden that comes with living in a life that is a sea journey. So let's consider what this courage means that we all need. Back in 1981, President Ronald Reagan was giving remarks during a Medal of Honor ceremony. And during that uh, ceremony, he made this remark, uh, and it's something that he made a few times, but in the ceremony he said this, uh, reflecting on the soldier that they were uh, giving this medal to for his heroism and gallantry. Reagan said, where did we find such men? He said this in a few different speeches, reflecting on uh, especially uh, POWs and veterans that he had met from the Korean War and and the stories they got to hear from them. And he said, where did we find such men? In his question and in what we hear in that question, it evokes awe and wonder. Because this is something that courage has always done. Courage always, since the beginning of time and in every society, has been something that evokes awe and wonder. Why? Why? What is it? What is courage? Courage is something that has been a classical virtue in nearly every society across the world Throughout all of history, if we go back to the ancient Greek philosophers, we see that courage was one of their uh, primary virtues. It was one of the cardinal virtues. For uh, one of the most famous of all Greek philosophers, Plato, uh, for Aristotle, uh, he described courage in his in, in his system of ethics and, and, and virtue. Everything was graded upon. You, you can think of it as a spectrum, and for every virtue, there were two extremes. Right, an extreme of excessiveness and an extreme of deficiency, and he said every virtue is found but in the golden mean. What that means is right in the center, right where there is no, where there is not excessive and it is not deficient. And so he said, so courage as well, being one of the cardinal, one of the most important virtues, is found in the golden mean between shameful fear, being the deficiency side, but then also on the excessiveness side, brash recklessness. We often think of courage or bravery as really just that. We think of it as just brash recklessness, as the kind of person who, to use an easy example of war, battle, or whatever else, the kind of person who, in really an almost psychotic state, can just run into a a hail of bullets or into uh, an opposing army with their swords and spears coming at them with no concern for their safety at all. That's not necessarily what what courage is. Courage doesn't mean just recklessness or just sheer fearlessness either. Because let me give you this example. Hang with me. Terrorists show a certain kind of fearlessness whenever they hijack an airplane or whenever they uh, employ a, a, a suicide vest or do any other kind of uh, a, a, a thing to cause harm to people, but then also to really give up their own bodies and lives in the service of that mission, right? There's a certain type of fearlessness at work in that terrorist actions. But do any of us call that person courageous, brave, or worthy of emulation? No, we don't, right? We would call that uh, recklessness. We will call that just sheer fearlessness, and especially this, we will call it fearlessness uh, for the the wrong reasons, for the wrong motivations, or for the wrong values. You see, here's where I think it's very important, and this is something we don't don't see quite as much in the ancient philosophers, the idea that courage must be understood in light of the other virtues. Courage must be understood in the light of the other virtues and must be understood in light of the values that support it. Because courage is not just recklessness um, or fearlessness, but it is, um, it is facing fear. It is facing danger, calamity for the right reasons, right? To uphold the correct values. Courage is something that requires wisdom in order to determine what ought to be feared and what not ought to be feared and when to face that fear and when not ought to, Right? This is something that uh, C.S. Lewis does extremely well. He connects courage to the other virtues in a couple different places in his writings. In his memoir, Surprised by Joy, he wrote, as Johnson points out, where courage is not, no other virtue can survive except by accident. Being that courage is that, uh, we might say, keystone, cornerstone virtue that holds together all the other ones. He goes on to say, because without courage, then, than chastity or honor or any other virtue which goes away at the moment of any you know opposing condition well it was fake to begin with right that's my summary of what lewis said he was much more eloquent in the screw tape letters he said this the undisguisable issue of cowardice or courage awakes thousands of men from moral stupor courage is not simply one of the virtues But the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means at the highest point of reality. A chastity or honesty, or, oh, this is the quote, I got it wrong. A chastity or honesty or mercy which yields to danger will be chaste or honest or merciful only on conditions. Here's my definition of courage a person behaves courageously when he or she chooses a course of action. Based upon a certain set of values or ideals against immense pressure to follow an alternative. Therefore, courage is doing what is right when urged to do what is wrong. It is doing what is hard when you want to take the easy way out. It is telling the truth when you are tempted to lie. So, courage can take different forms. The most obvious ones that we point to are examples that I've already given, where, where, where soldiers run into battle and they, they go towards action and they, they sacrifice themselves for their comrades or brothers or nation, where else it might be. These are the types of courage that we often label as valor or bravery. But there are also other types of courage. There is the type of courage like we see in, in uh, George Washington. Before he was president in Washington, whenever he was general Washington, leading the Revolutionary Army through the war for independence, and against all the setbacks and against all the opposition and against all the, the, the failures and many battles that they lost, he continued on. Every time he was, he was tempted to quit, instead, he continued on. So that one of his uh, contemporaries described him as possessing, uh, quote, a cabinet of fortitude. Fortitude, endurance, perseverance, these are other forms of courage that we, that, we, uh, that we might see displayed in life. They're the types of courage that continue on. We could also consider Wilberforce, who, was, uh, who gave his, his entire career and all of his adult life to fighting the slave trade and the institution of slavery in the British Empire, only to see it finally abolished literally a few days before his death. And all those times that he was tempted to give up and to move on and try something else, instead he continued on, endurance and fortitude, moral courage, we might add to that as well. So understanding what courage is, what this virtue is, here's something that I want us to understand, that the Bible calls Christians to live with courage. It's one of the virtues that I don't believe we teach nearly often enough. We talk about many of the other virtues and we talk about many of the other commandments and, and uh, lifestyles which we are called to in Scripture. And yet we overlook this one, which we are called to again and again and again throughout the Bible. Just consider this. We follow a courageous king who faced death himself at Gethsemane in Calvary. G.K. Chesterton, whenever he reflected on Jesus' own courage, he said this. Alone of all creeds, Christianity has added courage to the virtues of the Creator. For the only courage worth calling courage must necessarily mean that the soul passes a breaking point and does not break. Moreover, the Bible is full of exhortations for us to, sometimes it says to be strong and courageous, or at other points it says to take heart, another type of phrase which means to take courage. Let me just give you a few and I mean a few, because there are a lot, a few examples. In Joshua 1.9, God says to his people, Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In John 16.33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast. Remember another one of these uh, types, iterations we see of courage. Be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. These are just the examples and the exhortations towards courage that we see in the Scripture. If we consider Christian history, then there are thousands of more examples uh just consider a few of these from the bible or christian history think of moses's mother hiding her son from pharaoh Th- this nameless woman that we have in scripture you know we never have a name for her. it's just his mother but this nameless woman in scripture defied a tyrant and through her actions a nation achieved their freedom was given their freedom their liberty How incredible is that? Through her bravery, Joshua leading Israel to the promised land in spite of the opposition they faced. David defeating Goliath. Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who defied King Nebuchadnezzar's command to idolatry and instead thought it was better to face the furnace. Daniel himself, who instead of just closing his window in order to pray, uh, thought it would be better to face the lion's den. In the New Testament, think of Peter and John testifying before the Sanhedrin. Consider Paul, as I talked about before in his seafaring journeys, as he roused the sailors to take heart and to continue to row and to uh, persevere in the heart of the storm. And then in Christian history, we have many, many more examples from, from, from Luther to Wycliffe to Bonhoeffer to uh, Wilberforce, as I talked about before, of courage and fortitude and perseverance and faithfulness to the Christian calling in spite of opposition and in spite of threats. It's true what Hebrews 12 1 says, that we have a great cloud of witnesses to courageous living. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confused world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave so, a rating or review. Have to catch up from me, you can go to my website, aaronchamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again. And I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast to the end.